Thank you, Carol. Friends, please pray with me and for me. Holy Spirit, you are here. You reveal yourself through all of creation. And in that process, you reveal ourselves to us. So Holy Spirit, speak to us collectively and individually with whatever word we need to hear to be your faithful people in the world. And Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you, the lover of our bodies, minds, and souls. Amen. Today, I want to begin by talking about toilet paper. Go ahead and file this under words you never thought you'd hear in a sermon. 
alas, crap happens. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> it's the spring of 2020. And Brienne and I are getting used to our full-time life at home. We make our bi-weekly trip to Kroger. And when we walk in, we notice that the toilet paper aisles are nearly empty. In something I never thought I'd see, our grocery store has created a policy on toilet paper. Only one package of toilet paper per visit. People were scared and they bought a lot of toilet paper. Like a lot, a lot. More than they needed. And need I remind all of us that if we don't have food, we don't really need toilet paper. Nevertheless, people were panicking. And at least from the perspective I had, the thinking was along the lines of this. As long as I get more than enough for myself, that's all that matters. The toilet paper shortage the toilet paper shortage essentially brought us into a world of survival of the fittest. And anxiety had revealed itself in our world. And frankly, this anxiety has existed for a really, really long time. In that final verse of our scripture, it references that our work will leave sweat on our face. Now this ancient world was a largely agrarian society, an economy led mostly by farming and agricultural efforts. So when we read that line regarding sweat, the image of hard and strenuous physical labor comes to mind. But several years ago, New York University professor Daniel Fleming did a word study on sweat, which meant that he looked at the other ancient sources and how the culture at the time would define and view sweat. And what he found is that this sweat isn't likely referencing physical labor at all. The sweat the text is referring to is an anxiety-driven fear that all of humanity now has this innate fear that no matter how hard we run on the hamster wheel of life, no matter how hard we try to get ahead, there's simply not enough. We can keep trying harder and harder, striving more and more, and there's simply not going to be enough for all of us to flourish. The sweat is the same type of sweat that soldiers experience on a battlefield before the battle even begins, before the enemy is even before him. They're sweating because they fear what is to come. 
They see, we see this with Jesus himself in Gethsemane, where we see Jesus himself sweating in an instance that almost becomes like blood out of fear. So let's just stop. Hit the pause button and think about what this may mean for our world. Both of our stories, the book of Genesis and the Lorax, start out in these Eden-like places. All is beautiful, all is well. Everything is provided for creation to flourish. And while the balance of the world was strong, it was also very delicate. Just like Adam and Eve couldn't eat from the tree of life, nobody could remove even one truffle tree and expect to keep that balance of life. And it was just one bite of an apple, just one chopped down truffle tree and a craving was unleashed, a desire for more and more that brought on the sweat, the fear, the anxiety. Yesterday, I read a story from a mainstream news website that, with the headline, a self-made billionaire shares eight money secrets rich people know that most of us don't. Number seven on that list was that rich people are never content. And I just read that and thought, how sad. We have romanticized the fall of humanity, the sweat of our brow, the craving for more and more, and laid it out as the game plan for success and happiness. Folks, that is a bunch of my initials. Our insatiable competition, yeah, there you go. Our insatiable competition, our insatiable consumption comes from sin's entrance into the world, and we have never fully recovered. And yes, it's destroying us spiritually. It's also wreaking havoc physically. Our craving for more and more, just like what the Wunzler was experiencing, it's destroying probably the greatest gift God has given us, our home. Creation, it's the very first thing God told humanity to care for. And we have refused to limit our cravings, our consumption, so that we can care for it effectively and responsibly. Reputable scientists globally are ringing the alarm for us and have been for a long time. And some of those individuals are also people of faith. Some are even Christians. Science and faith are not enemies. Now the Bible isn't a science textbook, 
But there is a reason why in the book of Leviticus, part of the law calls the people to give the Sabbath land, to give the land a Sabbath rest. In other words, work on the field, get what you need, and let the land rest. It's how the land heals. Let's just think again a few years back. Pandemic has just started out and our roads are empty. Well, suddenly the air quality got better. Now we have to drive. That's a reality for a lot of us. Not negating that. But what those few months showed us is that the same truth that was written about in Leviticus is still true today. If we let the land rest, it heals. That's what scientists and activists have been begging for us to listen to. In the movie, The Lorax, which yes, just like last week with Horton, I did watch, the Lorax warns the Onesler that unless he stops what he is doing, the land will be cursed. It's like if we go back in the book of Exodus, Moses telling Pharaoh to stop exploiting the world, stop exploiting people and the land, stop running the people and the land into the ground. But Pharaoh doesn't want to hear that because his economy is going great. Him and the Onesler in our stories are making money hand over fist. They don't want to give that up. And yet the end of both of these stories with the Pharaoh in Exodus and the Onesler in the Lorax is that they both realized that what they were participating in, it was a curse that was just disguised as material blessing. A few years ago, uh, I heard one Christian pastor state that it didn't matter how we treated creation because God was just going to burn it up all anyway. Well, here's why I think, to put it as nicely as I can, that that is misguided. First, throughout most of the Bible, fire is a purifying agent. It's meant to purify the world, not destroy it. Essentially, it's to bring us back to Eden and remove everything that we've added out of our own greed. And second, as we go back even before Genesis 3, the first command from God is that we're to be the chief steward for creation. Caring for what God has given us is our role in this world. The third reason is that the kingdom of God is already here. Now, it's also not yet fully here, but part of our job is to help bridge that. Now, we can't do everything to fix that. We're not the saviors. But just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Jesus said it himself when telling us to pray to make it on earth as it is in heaven. 
So we should be concerned about the things that impact people's lives. Now, sometimes we're successful at that, especially here at St. Paul. We care about people. We try to do good work in our community. But when thousands of people are still struggling for clean air, water, food, we should have some ethical questions to ask about that. Old Testament prophets speak about how there's this connection between how the poor are treated and how the land is treated. When the land is cared for, there's enough for all. Poverty, struggling goes down. And when it isn't, there's a struggle for basic necessities. Friends, the message of scripture is not that God is coming to destroy the earth. God is coming to restore it, to restore it back to Eden. And we're not called to just sit on the sidelines so God can wave a magic wand. The God I see in the scriptures doesn't really work like that. <laughs> we have let our consumption, our craving, our greed run amok. And the result is that we all just kind of sit in our individual silos, just making sure that we ourselves have enough. And instead of that leading us to the prosperity we think it will, it actually leads us to misery. Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber said in a sermon at a festival last year, and you'll have to excuse some of the language in this, but um, in different versions of the Bible, the word she uses is in some Bible translations, but this is what she says. The suicide rate has risen astronomically in the last 15 years. During the same time, our culture has doubled down on the lying ass story that autonomy is the highest good and that we don't need each other or our elders and the resources of creation are all dispensable, disposable and for sale to the highest bidder. She goes on to say that we as people of faith have a better story to tell, a better story than this human competition extravaganza. A better story is possible, a more meaningful story than just the constant consumption where the result is that we're just still craving more and more. Friends, exploitation, consumption, that anxiety-driven fear that causes us to go and grab every single piece of toilet paper off those shelves, that might get us something in the meanwhile. But they end up having disastrous effects. That doesn't have to be the story that we tell. We have a story of resurrection. Resurrection for ourselves and for our world, a world where we don't have to sweat in anxious fear, a world where we don't have to hoard toilet paper and everything else, but a world where God will provide for all if we're stewards rather than hoarders. You can tell a story like that. 
But in order to tell it, we do have to look at the mess our cravings have created. And we have to desire to send that back to the hell that it came from. Because the book of Genesis tells us it is not God's plan. We have a story of abundance, a story where we don't just have to give in to our cravings, where we only look out for ourselves at the expense of others and at the expense of creation. A story that shows that we are the people who care about the gifts God has given us. Because unless someone like us cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Amen.